0: Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. How many of you have watched the new Star Wars series Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus? So I, I watched a, a couple of the episodes. I, d- I don't know. You guys remember back in the day made-for-TV movies, which were like regular movies, just not as good? Have you noticed that as streaming services increasingly are creating their own content, there's like this resurgence of kind of second-rate production? as as the made-for-TV stuff just becomes made-for-streaming. Anyhow, I I watched a couple of episodes. I haven't haven't finished the series. It's probably been a month since I've watched anything. Um, As you can see, I wasn't overly thrilled with what happened. Uh, But my kids were kind of getting into it, and at one point, they were getting ready to watch an episode, and I said, well, just so you know you're probably going to have the experience as you're watching it that you feel like you've seen this before. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this in the Star Wars series, but the entire franchise has, has been successful enough and has been around long enough and has made enough movies that they've started recycling storylines. Has anyone else noticed that? I mean, I remember uh, a number of years ago when they when they made The Force Awakens, so that's like movie 10, I think, in order, I don't know. Anyhow, it, it, and a friend was telling me, well, you'll know how the story goes because it's basically just a retelling of episode 4, so episode, no, I guess it was episode 7, I don't know. Anyhow, it's the same as the one that was made 30 years ago, just different characters playing different different roles, but it's the same story. And I remember watching the movie, and it was like, yeah, this is, this is kind of the same movie. It's the same plot line. Of course, people who are experts in literature will probably tell you that all stories are the same. There's only about one or two different ways they can go, and that's a happy ending or a sad ending or a thought-provoking ending. I guess a sad ending would be called the thought-provoking ending. Anyhow, uh, when this kind of thing happens, where we have recycled storylines in... In movies or in franchises, uh, it it seems like people are not trying anymore, and that's kind of how I have felt about some of the later Star Wars things. It just feels like people have given up. They're not even trying anymore. They're not trying to make anything new or compelling. They're just going with what works. Um, but when we see storylines repeating themselves in Scripture, it's not that people aren't trying. It's a cultural. Tool used in writing to tell us to pay attention. So when we see things being repetitive in Scripture, when we see a story being recycled over and over again, it's because there is a truth in that story that is incredibly important, and we, as the readers of it, are meant to really pay attention to this. One thing that repeats itself uh, beginning in Genesis and continuing on throughout the story of Scripture is this idea of humanity missing the mark. You know, God creates a good world. He, he creates humanity and then invites humanity to join him, be joined to him in ruling over this world, in caring for the world, all of this happening out of a relationship of trust and submission to God. And in the end, humanity, by chapter 3 of the book, humanity decides that they're going to figure out for themselves what's right or wrong. They're going to rule and reign in their own power. They're going to do this their way rather than the way that they were created to do it. They're tempted to do it their own way and they fall into that temptation. And then the choice that humanity makes in Genesis chapter 3 to not trust God and just do this their own way is a choice that has consequences and it's a choice that we see human beings making again and again and again throughout Scripture. It's a choice that results in the world being a mess. And God will show up in humanity's mess throughout the story of Scripture, and He washes, and He cleanses, and He restores, and He resets, and He gives them an opportunity to join Him in a work of restoration and and all of that. But again, humanity misses the mark. God in the story of the flood narrative in Genesis. It's a story of God uh, recreating the earth, washing the earth with a flood, and giving Noah a chance to reset and start again. Of course, if you're familiar with the story of Noah, you know one of the first things he does is plant a vineyard and then overindulge in God's abundant harvest and get drunk, and his sons aren't sure what to do. Anyways, it ends up, this whole mess, Noah's indulgence, ends up sowing strife amongst his children and in the generations that follow we know that god meets and has a special relationship with a man named abraham and he makes a covenant with abraham that he's going to give him a son and he's going to bless that son abraham and his wife conspire to abuse sarah's servant and create a son on their own humanity missing the mark and just making a mess You know, the story of the nation of Israel who are Abraham's children, there's a story of them meeting, God meeting them on the mountain. You imagine a nation gathered at the foot of the mountain, the voice of God thundering from the mountaintops, fire, lightning, thunder, the whole whole deal. God speaks to them. And you would think, well, there's a nation that's never going to turn away from God. But within a few weeks, they're asking Aaron to create them a golden calf And they're breaking away from who God called them to be. Further on in the story, God anoints Aaron to be a priest for his people. So he picks one person out from among the people to represent a a connection between God and humanity, to stand in that place and, and to be the example of this is what it could be like if humanity walks with God. And he gives Aaron specific instructions how to come into God's presence and to be near to God. There's this whole seven-day ritual where Aaron and his family are being set apart as priests, which is meant to remind us of the seven days of creation. This is God sort of recreating an opportunity for humanity, to to recreating a garden space where humanity can meet with God. And and so the priests are set apart and the tabernacle is set up. And on the eighth day, Aaron's sons break from the commandments of God. They burn strange fire before the Lord. They miss the boat. And the whole thing is a mess yet again. And the story of humanity missing the mark continues through the story of Israel. God raising up different leaders. anoints Saul, king of Israel. That doesn't go so well. Anoints David, king of Israel. That doesn't go so well either. And as we read these stories, we're meant to understand that humanity falls short of being who God created us to be that humanity misses the boat time and again. The New Testament stories about the disciples are no exception to this recycled plotline. During this series uh, we've been hoping to, we've been looking at the disciples and we've been hoping to learn from them and connect with them and one of the things that you probably notice right away when you read the stories of the disciples in scripture is that there's lives teach us lessons almost as much that are about what not to do as they are about what to do. Remember that time when Jesus is teaching and the children are coming to him and the disciples are chasing all the kids away? Remember when Peter's trying to worship Elijah and Moses as if they're equal to God? Remember when when they're criticizing the woman who anoints Jesus for his burial? The disciples A time and again, so many stories of these disciples saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, doubting Jesus, misunderstanding Jesus. All across the board, they are missing the boat. At times, you can hear Jesus' exasperation with them. He's saying things like, How long am I going to have to put up with you? He's saying things like, Oh, you of little faith, don't you understand? Don't you see? At one point, one of his followers, Peter, is so far out of bounds, he's missing the boat so far, that Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The disciples miss the boat. And you know, the other thing about the disciples is, well, wait a minute. Actually, I think, speaking of disciples, it looks like there's one here with us today. Oh my goodness, this is wholly unexpected, entirely unexpected. Well, someone get him a chair, someone get him a chair. He can get his own chair. All right, boy. This disciple seems like a man who knows how to get things done. This disciple seems like a great guy. Well, uh, yes. Yeah, grab your microphone there. Okay. Do you need that, a chair? You know what? I could use a chair. Yeah. Want yeah. Me to Get it? No, I, I think I think Nate's got uh, it
1: covered. Uh, thanks, Nate.
0: Yeah, Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. <laughs> Which, um, all right, just a little church humor for you. Boy, this is great. Can you guys believe it? One of the disciples showed up today. Isn't that incredible?
1: I got out of bed.
0: Boy, this, is a, this disciple seems like a real special one. Uh, hi there. Oh, so
1: Surprise to have you with us. Would you mind uh, sharing your name? Well, my name's James. Oh. I'm the brother of John. We, we share a name. So, if you don't want to call me James today, you can call me Boanegis. Is that how you pronounce my name? Sure. That's a nickname, that (laughs) nickname that Jesus gave me. But, you know, I feel kind of foolish because I'm not even really sure I'm pronouncing my nickname correctly. (laughs) Isn't that awful? just terrible. (laughs) Boanegis? Boanegis.
0: Boanegis? It
1: means Sons of Thunder. Oh, wow, Sons of Thunder. That's quite a nickname. Why did he give you that nickname? Well, it just depends on who you talk to. Some say, yes, some say it was my father, our dad. He had issues. And the whole neighborhood got to experience those issues because it didn't seem to matter what dad ate. If he was out of Beano, watch out. Thunder was coming. So I think it was just Jesus' way of kind of teasing us and giving us a hard time.
0: Well, that's crazy. You know, I'd always heard that it was because you and your brother were always stirring up trouble, but I guess that wasn't the case. Maybe Jesus was just a bit of a kidder.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he liked to joke around. There was times he had the 12 of us laughing so hard we could hardly breathe. We had good times.
0: You know, that's an interesting thought. Uh, when we think of Jesus today, oftentimes we tend to think of him as you know pretty serious all the time. Uh, the kind of guy who... Um, maybe speaks in a very soft voice and never tells a joke. Um, It it can be hard for modern people to imagine Jesus joking around or or laughing.
1: Really? That seems strange to me. Jesus, serious all the time, joking? I don't think we would have made it three months, much less three years if that was the case. He kept us on our toes. We had some real good times.
0: Yeah, well, I guess sometimes we miss the boat (laughs) on our
1: beliefs about Jesus yes you do but you're not the only one
0: this is so confusing because James has all the lines
1: yes yes I should be Bo you can call me Bo like Bo Jackson if you want I know but I didn't write it in here like that so I'm okay the cat's I I can't use my scrolls because I have to you guys use microphones nowadays so my scroll is useless so I have to scroll on my other scroll, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, I'm going to try this. <laughs> yeah, I guess we miss the boat sometimes about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not alone. You're not alone. John and I missed the boat many times, oh, many, many times. why do you say that? Really? This I have to share that one? Oh, man. Yeah, okay, well, there was a time when, when we were heading down to Jerusalem, and we came across this village. And the folks were not very hospitable. They weren't uh, very welcoming at all. And you know, they, they kind of looked funny. Their skin was a different color, and they, they had a weird accent. And they also rejected Jesus' message. So they totally rejected us. John and I got kind of ticked off, because we, we hang out with Jesus and we love him. So we got kind of ticked off. We decided, well, you know what? We'll just uh, consequences. These guys need consequences. So we asked Jesus, "Do you want us to call down the fire from heaven and just burn these people? Maybe a little dad's thunder too." And uh, so you know, consequences need to happen. So we thought it was valid. Jeez,
0: like fire from heaven? I mean, that seems not only does that seem harsh, but whatever gave you the idea that you could do that? I mean, had you called down fire from heaven before?
1: No, but we'd been hanging out with Jesus for almost three years and. You begin to believe that anything's possible. So we thought it was a good idea. So what happened? Well, Jesus got pretty upset. He didn't think it was a very good idea. And fortunately, this time, John got the worst of it. Jesus said, are you kidding? Fire from heaven? If that was the punishment for rejection, you and the sons of Abraham would have been toast a long time ago. So he just looked at us and said, we've been rejected, we move on to the next village, let it go, and so we just move on. A few weeks later, he was sending a bunch of us out on a little trip to minister to people, I think you guys had called that a mini-mission, and he was instructing us how to deal with rejection because he knew we would deal with rejection. Well, John and I obviously weren't very good at it. We had issues, maybe from our father. Just blame it on our dad. And so we needed to be told, you know, what, how to deal with rejection. So Jesus told us just to shake the dust off of our sandals, leave it behind. You can't change their rejection. You can't change people. So just leave it behind and move on to the next village.
0: Well, I guess you guys really missed the boat on dealing with rejection.
1: Oh, yeah, it wasn't just there. You'd think for fishermen, we wouldn't miss the boat so often. Still not as bad as Peter, though. <laughs> he was the worst. Anyway, it seems like one of us was always starting an argument and competing. Who would be number one? Who would be Jesus' favorite disciple? So we came up with an idea, John and I did. We asked our, our mom, and I'm not sure how to pronounce her name either. Salome, I think, I pronounced my own mom's name. Nailed it. There, I nailed it. Uh, so we asked her for a favor. See, she was one of Jesus' um, best financial supporters, his ministry. And she was a real nice lady, so we thought she'd have a little bit of pull with Jesus. So we asked her to ask Jesus to, to give us a good seat um, in his kingdom. So he, she did. She asked him, would you please give my sons uh, a rightful place when you meet your kingdom? And he looked straight past her and right at us again and said, you don't know what you're asking for. You're, if you ask that, you're asking to, to suffer with me and to suffer like me. And we said, we'll suffer with you. And he said, you will suffer. But those positions are not mine to give.
0: Well, at least he didn't scold you guys too much that time.
1: Oh, what we, got worse, what, was, what we got was worse than a scolding. The next time we were all together, he gave a speech to, and everyone knew it was about us. He was like, you know the kings of the nations show their power to the people? Many leaders use their power over people. But it must not be that way for you. Whoever wants to be great among you let him care for you. Whoever wants to be first among you, let him be your servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be cared for. He came to care for others. And all the while looking right at us, the others, they were just gloating at us because we kept missing the boat.
0: Oh, how embarrassing.
1: Yes, it was. But you know, if you can overcome the shame of missing the boat, Stop trying to be number one. Your own mistakes become huge learning opportunities. It has been a couple thousand years, and I've never called down fire on anyone. I don't judge others anymore. I'm entirely content with the seat the Father's given us, has given me in Jesus' kingdom. And you know, if you're humble enough to own your own mistakes and even share your failures, they can be learning opportunities for others as well. I like to think that my own sins have become learning opportunities for the Lord's people for eons, when they take time to read them. And I I guess I need to thank Luke for putting all my blunders down so people can learn about them forever and ever. Thanks, Luke.
0: Yeah, that was quite thoughtful of him. Uh, Thanks, Luke, and and thank you, James. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story with us today. uh, We will send you on your way. Well, thank you. Uh, What a great guy. We should give him another round of applause as he walks out. You know, one, one benefit of just the way the story of humanity is recorded in Scripture is we have these examples of people missing the boat all the time. It, and, and that does create wonderful opportunities for us to learn, to be like, okay, don't do that. Don't be like that person. Um, it also encourages us that we're in good company, that when, when we are confronted with our own flaws or our own mistakes or the times that we miss the boat, we can be encouraged because the people of God have been missing the boat for a very long time. Um, It reminds us and helps us learn that we need help, that our own best efforts to somehow get back to God or restore what was lost in the fall, our own efforts are going to fall short time and again. I think we're also meant to learn through it, that despite the fact that we fall short that god still comes close that he comes to humanity again and again so that there can so that he can show up as our ever-present help in a time of need it's interesting god takes people who are missing the boat he takes people who sin he takes people who misunderstand him he takes people who are focused on all the wrong things at all the wrong right, wrong times but he still takes those people and uses them to write the rest of the story, the next part of the story. The law, the Torah, the history of Scripture teaches us in the beginning that humanity missed the mark and, and that humanity needs help. And then the gospel comes in and tells the story of what happens when those who miss the boat are brought in closeness or, or have a close encounter with the one who never fails. The gospel tells a story of what happens when God comes close to a corruptible humanity. I know I've talked about this before, but the fear on humanity's part was that if God comes close to corruptible humanity, he will, we will surely perish in His presence. But in proclaiming the gospel, the apostle Paul tells a different story about what happens when humanity is brought close to God or what happens when God comes close to humanity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, the apostle writes that if anyone is in Christ, if any person is found in Christ, if any person is in proximity to Christ, in him dwelling in him, brought into the fellowship of Christ, if anyone is in Christ, then they are a new creation. He says the old is gone, and the new has come here. The new has arrived. On the one hand, humanity has fallen. On the one hand, humanity is corruptible. And on the other hand, when God comes close to humanity, something changes. We're transformed. Humanity is no longer the same as it was. We talked about how we have this story of God creating a good world and giving humanity an opportunity to rule over it with Him, and they blow their chance, and so God remakes the world through the flood, and He he keeps trying to create a new opportunity and a new meeting place between Himself and humanity, which really is a new version of the garden. Of course, if we read through to the prophetic end of Scripture, we know that all of this is pointing towards some kind of recreation of this garden place, this meeting place between God and His people. But one of the examples that we have of that meeting place is the temple in the Old Testament. This temple that was created and actually decorated to remind us of the garden Uh, This temple that was decorated with uh, the fine things and the the richness and the beauty of God's creation. And a a temple that was meant to tell us that there is still a meeting place between God and his people. In the New Testament, the authors and the the writers of of, uh, the scriptures had in their minds the idea that this temple was actually the people of God, that this meeting place of God was the hearts of his people. Where is it that God is going to meet his people? Where is it that the garden is going to be restored, that that meeting place between God and humanity would suddenly be a reality that we could live in again? It's it's in our hearts. It's in the midst of the body of Christ. Paul writes to the the church and says, you are the temple of God. The Apostle Peter writes, you are the temple of God. You are meant to be that meeting place. God takes corrupted humanity, comes near to them, and transforms them into a holy meeting space where God's presence meets with the fallen, broken, planet earth. God meets humanity, and humanity is healed and restored. They go from being fallen to being forgiven. He meets humanity, and crazy things happen, like a thief dying on a cross destined for paradise, like a murderer becoming the the primary author of the New Testament. Men and women whose lives tell the story over and over again that humanity's fallenness is not the end of the story but that God is doing a wondrous work of redemption inside of people who miss the boat. Humanity might have been uh, given the opportunity to be a primary author in Genesis chapter 3, to have great control over the, the way the narrative goes. And when humanity has great control, we see how the narrative goes. Fallenness, rebellion, violence, tragedy. We are confident that it's God who gets to write the end of humanity's story. And that the end that he is writing is where each one who missed the boat somehow might find themselves right where they need to be in the presence of God. God saw to it that those who that and God saw to it as well that each time that humanity misses the boat, he's somehow able to use their misdirection and their being out of bounds to help bring others back in bounds, to help bring others back to the place that they need to be. Somehow all of this is pointing to the gospel, that God's power is greater than humanity's fallenness, that the direction, the conviction that God's Holy Spirit can give to humanity, can bring into our lives, is greater than whatever waywardness might reside in our own hearts, whatever it is inside of us that's prone to want to wander from Him. And this story is told over and over again in the Scriptures that when God comes near, humanity is transformed. The blind see, the lame walk, the poor hear the gospel, the captives go free. Jesus shows up in our world, and He shows that His presence changes everything. I want to give us an opportunity just to reflect on... This whole idea of missing the boat and this idea that Jesus still overcomes it and redeems everything by by giving you an opportunity to dialogue about this a little bit with the family of of Christ. And so um, we're going to throw up a QR code on the screen, and we have uh, on your tables there's some other QR codes. You can scan that with your phone and zip down to the bottom of the page, and there's a link that says discussion questions and you can click on that link and just take some time to talk with one another about, uh, about some of this content we've been looking at.